welcome once again to Father's Princess University at the intersection of faith and reason here at this Christmas time. I'm Doug Keck, your gatekeeper. And of course, we appreciate your questions to this program because they really drive the entire program. Universe at EW10.com is the place to send them if you'd like them included in the program. Check out all of Father Spitzer's websites, the magiscenter.com one, CredibleCatholic.com, and also PurposefulUniverse.com, especially as we head into the, through the Christmas season into the new year. And of course, Father Spitzer's Universe is available as a podcast. That's an audio podcast on our Podcast Central page with the best of EW10. And you can go to EW10.com forward slash radio and click on podcast. You can listen to Mother Angelica, Father Spitzer, all the other favorite programs you'd like, even Father Mitch if you've got nothing else to do. It's all free on EWTN's <laughs> Podcast Central. And of course our topic today, we will be talking about Christmas and answering some of your questions about Christmas and the history of Christmas and our spiritual beliefs around the celebration of Christmas. and. Who could be more Christmas at this time of year than our own Father Spitzer? Welcome, Father. Great to see you. And if you kick us off with a prayer, great that'd be great. Great to be with you, Doug. You bet. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Heavenly Father, as we anticipate the coming of your Son uh, into our lives in this wonderful Christmas event, we ask you to send your Spirit down upon Doug, myself, our whole audience this day, so that we might know the preciousness of the gift that we have been given, the salvation that has come into the world, the salvation that shares our nature, the salvation who is God with us, the salvation who is Emmanuel. We ask all of these things through Jesus our Lord. Amen. Amen. And Mary, seat of wisdom, pray, pray for, for us. us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. So, Father, uh, so what, what are you doing for Christmas this year? Where will you be celebrating? <laughs> well, I'll be celebrating with my sister uh, and my brother up in Portland, Oregon. Mm -hmm. And uh, so it should be a whole lot of fun. We, uh, of course, the, the Mass is at the center of everything that we do. And uh, then, uh, of course, she supplies all the wonderful things like Christmas trees. And believe it or not, she actually has stockings. Right. And my stocking always has a can of asparagus in it. Uh, that has been a 20-year tradition. Is that an, that's an inside joke <laughs> because, because you like it or you don't like it. <laughs> I don't like it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and canned asparagus is double bad. Okay. So, <laughs> were, you, were you force fed that as a youth same or can something? For 20 years. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, uh, the, my, my sister couldn't help it. She just thought, oh, you know, the, <laughs> we have to give him a few so, uh, little coals in his stocking. So, do you give her anything back? <laughs> do you have any uh, gift like oh, that uh, that you kind of give her? No, not really. She does so much, and she's such a good, kind heart. I figure I, I'll just okay. uh, uh, treat her with the respect she deserves. But, uh, but uh, no, I, I know I need the coal in the in the stocking. You know, <laughs> the gentle reminder. <laughs> the gentle reminder. <laughs> so the weather. What's the weather uh, usually like up there around Christmas time? Uh, could be snowing, mm -hmm. um, you know, and so we could have a white Christmas, about 50% chance. Uh, I, I just did a little uh, 
uh, weather search for mm -hmm. um, uh, Christmas, and uh, there's a good possibility of snow up there in Portland at that time, so that might be kind of fun as well, and and then um, uh, I can throw my occasional snowball at, uh, at somebody, mm -hmm. uh, and that'll get into the Christmas spirit as well. Well, let me ask you, because, you know, the famous song, White Christmas, mm -hmm. which uh, Irving Berlin wrote, yeah. was really about him thinking about being in New York, and he was out in L.A., and it was hot and sunny, and he was dreaming about yeah. what Christmas, in theory, was in New York. So let me ask you, you grew yeah. up in Hawaii, so when you would see all yeah. these things that have to do with these winter wonderland and things, how did you relate to that in Hawaii growing up? I always wanted to see snow. Um, and so um, when we were in the first grade, or when I was in the first grade, my brother was in the third grade, and Louise was in kindergarten, we went off to Disneyland, and my father made it a point to drive up to Big Bear mm -hmm. so we could be in the snow, and that was the very first time I saw snow, and we had a snowball fight, and it was mm -hmm. a whole lot of fun, and, uh, and uh, I must admit I always wanted to be in a place where there was snow mm -hmm. until I lived in a place where right, there was right. snow and then I thought <laughs> got over that know. quick <laughs> <laughs> yeah I got over that quick yeah <laughs> it's nice for the first few days but then right. when it starts turning muddy and slippery and so forth and so on you just think right. oh it looks I'm great coming back down to good old Hawaii right. yeah. it's beautiful coming down <laughs> exactly. gently covering the ground yeah. as long as when you get up the next morning it's all gone uh, <laughs> <laughs> That's right. <laughs> that, 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 that works well. So let me ask you for, for you know, besides listening to Don Ho's Christmas album, which I know somebody gave you several years ago, and I'm sure it was replacing one you had as in your in your youth. Uh, what would be some of the Christmas oh, yes. kind of uh, things you would do in Hawaii that might be different than what some of us in the rest of the 50 states would be used to? Yeah, we basically had a very traditional Christmas mm -hmm. in our house. We, of course, had the old uh, Christmas tree there. We uh, definitely had uh, a huge crash scene on our living room table. Mm -hmm. I wasn't like, uh, you know, life-size, but it was very mm -hmm. big, and it certainly uh, occupied a lot of space. We had, uh, um, you know, we'd go to my grandmother's uh, um, uh, uh, Van Ort's house on actual Christmas Day, mm -hmm. uh, we would celebrate Christmas Eve at our home, uh, you know, and uh, with uh, present openings, of course, wow. we'd have the, you know, Christmas Mass and uh, uh, good old Sacred Heart Parish there, and mm -hmm. uh, and so, uh, uh, and Wilder Avenue, and we didn't have any of the snow or any of that uh, uh, sort of thing, but Hawaii's very traditional mm -hmm. uh, in terms of Christmas celebrations, and so, uh, uh, you know, very religious, too, in terms of their uh, uh, Christmas celebrations, so, so, uh, so the day I, I grew up in a very, right. you know. Did they import, tr import trees, or was it one of the places that uh, yeah. uh, fake trees came in very early, or how did that work? Uh, well, there there were fake trees here, mm -hmm. but uh, honestly, they did import them. And you know, by the time you know, when I was a little kid, mm -hmm. uh, they were kind of, uh, you know a little bit dry. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, the trees were because they, of the shipping and so forth. But then, when they got all the containerized shipping and they could put moisture, uh, moisturizers and things in the mm -hmm. in the containers and so forth and so on. Uh, those trees were actually pretty good by the time mm -hmm. they got to uh, Hawaii, and so. Right. Uh, uh, they still were drier than the ones you get on the mainland, but uh, but by and large, it, they they were good. 
Yeah. Uh, and of course, my dad would have those things, you know, submerged into a, you know, <laughs> practically a tank of water <laughs> underneath, you know. <laughs> and uh, the trees actually lasted. My dad would not take those uh, trees down until Epiphany. He, really? Know, he was very traditional. Oh, wow. yeah. Yeah, he wanted it to stay until Epiphany. So, well, that, that's that's it was great. great. It was well, great. That's great. Well, let me ask you, just as an yeah. aside, so you went over to your grandmother's house. Now, wasn't that haunted? That house was that the one that was haunted? Had the upper floor How that was haunted? You? Yeah. How did you know that? Because I remember you talking about that it a couple years ago on one on the oh, show. Oh my God! Yeah, okay. Yeah, right. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. There, right. it, it absolutely was. I didn't yeah. I didn't remember that I had said yeah, anything. Right, right. But yeah, <laughs> that is true. The third floor, which uh, we were instructed, don't. Uh, you know, um, uh, you know, uh, go up here. Uh, actually, that was my grandmother Spitzer's house. Uh, mm -hmm. We went to her house on Thanksgiving. Okay. The other okay. grandmother, Grandmother Van Ort's house, was okay. the one for Christmas. But okay. uh, but you're right, uh, Grandmother Spitzer's house. Uh, oh yeah, there, that, uh, there was uh, there was definitely a ghost up there. No no question about that. Okay. So, uh, All right. But uh, it stayed up on the third floor. <laughs> That's interesting. Okay. So let's yeah, uh, let, didn't come down. Let's get to some questions <laughs> some of our viewers have uh, regarding sure. Christ, Christmas and how we celebrate and uh, the impact of the culture. So, uh, dear Father Spitzer, okay. I'm troubled every year when Christmas decorations show up in stores earlier and earlier. I'm more troubled when Christmas stops on December 26. You were just talking about Epiphany there. Trees are at the curb. Mm -hmm. The light displays in the neighborhood go out. If we're so quick to begin the celebration of Christmas, why are even Catholics so eager to end the celebration of such a momentous event? Tony. Well, Tony, I'm not sure myself. I have to tell you, uh, as I was just saying, we celebrated right up to Epiphany and my house and, of course, the old 12 Days of Christmas mm -hmm. song were reminiscent of all those things. And uh, we, um, we kept on going. Uh, because, of course, the Catholic Church keeps on going. We have uh, the wonderful New Year's uh, Solemnity of Mary. We've got all kinds of other uh, Holy Family, you know, that, right. that follows upon all of it. And, the, the, you know, the Sunday celebrations keep going right to Epiphany. And, and uh, some people keep right on going to the baptism of the Lord. Right, right, but right. The, uh, the point is that, um, that uh, we have uh, uh, in the church a real way of, uh, you know, moving the Christmas season. Um, you know, to its good, you know, mm -hmm. successful celebration, you know, um, and I, I, I don't know why any Catholic would want to uh, take their tree down early, frankly. I, I, I guess maybe that, you know, it's anticlimactic or something that, you know, that, right. you know, they, um, they think, you know, okay, we've got the presents. But I think if you really think about the Savior being there, um, I think the, uh, the, right. the prolongation, you know, for the 12 days of Christmas is a wonderful thing indeed, and and I think just being able to celebrate that with the families all the way up until the time of, of Epiphany is just a wonderful thing to do. Yeah. And and uh, you know in Europe they do have Epiphany parties, and they do have you know the they put the little ring inside mm -hmm. the Epiphany cake and this or the coin, whatever it may mm -hmm. be in whatever culture you're from, and uh, all kinds of little celebrations like that and. Uh, and uh, I just loved uh, seeing right. and smelling that Christmas tree. But above all, our little crush scene, which it was a, <laughs> it was a big crush scene. Right. But uh, I loved uh, being in the presence of that crush scene. I almost uh, felt like that was uh, 
so you know meaningful to me you know mm -hmm. when I was growing up as a kid and uh, I, you know the statues that, that I had and the pictures mm -hmm. of Jesus I had in my room I valued them very very much uh, indeed mm -hmm. and um, so uh, I just I, I loved keeping it going and well, I remember, uh, 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 like I said uh, right. Yeah. When we were kids, I remember, yeah. I think it used to be, at least in, in where I was in, in New York, First Communion, a lot of times you got the infant of Prague. That was like the gift you got when you made First Communion. That was kind of yeah. a statue of the yeah. infant of Prague. Yeah. So let me ask yeah. you. No, I, I got a picture Bible for my oh, First oh, is Communion, that what I was? which okay. I loved. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, so following up on that, I'm wondering, you know, it's, it, the question about why is it earlier and earlier seems to be at some level being driven by how much can the store sell? I think they, they woke up one day and said yeah. the earlier you get Christmas going, the quicker we start selling. They came to a realization, unfortunately, that you can't buy a lot of stuff at Thanksgiving. And so we start, you yeah. know, so they push Halloween because they got costumes and candy yeah. they can sell. And then right rolling out of that, yeah. if they even wait till that, they've got to get to Christmas to get uh, the sales going, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah, no, and I think that's why they do it. I think it's definitely commercially motivated uh, without any question. And, uh, um, you know, I just look at it as, uh, well, if they put up the decorations early, fine. Right, You right. know, I just look at them as Advent decorations. Right. I don't, <laughs> you know. Uh, Good way. You right. know, and I, I, I'm just obviously, you know, I, I have a limited commercial Christmas because, uh, uh, you know, I don't do all of that sort of thing. But, you know, I get little gifts from my brothers and sisters and so forth. But very much, uh, um, you know, the festive parts of it, you know, I, I don't mind, uh, you know, celebrating with people. And a lot of my friends are very religious people. And mm -hmm. so they have masses or something that attach to, you know, the parties that they have. Mm -hmm. And so... Uh, it's uh, it's really pretty. Uh, right. uh, it does keep a focus right. on uh, Jesus as the reason for the season, as they say. Right. So, right. Uh, and and again, yeah. you know, they start. I think some of the things, unfortunately, why people start uh, taking down stuff is it's almost fatigue. They've they've had it. I mean, I, I noticed yeah. down here, which I had never seen before. But, you know, apparently, and I, I don't know if it's even more than it used to be, but people ha have their tree up by Thanksgiving. Like, they have their, uh, yeah. it's kind of like, oh, okay. Yeah. So by the time you hit the day of Christmas, it's been going for at least a month or so, and you've got the Christmas oh, music yeah. that's been playing for six weeks. In some ways, there's, oh, there's yeah. almost a certain amount of fatigue people have, I think. Yeah, maybe so. I mean, you know, as I said, uh, I, I just got so used to it going right to Epiphany from my family mm -hmm. that I, I never thought twice about it. But um, and of course, I don't, you know, tune into all the Christmas uh, uh, carol stations, you know, uh, and so right. forth. There, we have a couple of them here in Orange County, but uh, it's certainly playing. Christmas music is everywhere, so. <laughs> Absolutely. And of course, you can't avoid some Christmas parties. Well, uh, so yeah. they're. Uh, they're out there. Well, yeah. uh, it's interesting too because recently there was a story that was out there about a particular singer whose Christmas song is very popular, but it's so popular that the people working in the stores and other places are rebelling against hearing it. They can't take it anymore because they <laughs> hear it so often. 
In fact, my own, yeah, my, own right. my own wonderful wife is not big on Christmas carols anymore because when she worked at a, at a major retailer, they, back in the day before they yeah. had the satellite stuff, they had a three-hour reel of music that would play over and over and over again. And and, over uh, so and over again. <laughs> <laughs> so it, it got a little wearing, okay. So here's another oh, question. Oh yeah, no, I can see that. <laughs> here's another question we got. Dear Father Spitzer, December is always a busy month with Christmas parties. You would, at least for you, you've got quite a few going on from what I hear. Concerts, school plays yeah. all throughout the month. Do you have any advice on how one can maintain the preparatory uh, season of Advent uh, without disappointing others by skipping mm -hmm. my child's appearance in the Nutcracker or Symphony's performance of Handel's Messiah, Rachel? Well, Rachel, I'd still go to yeah. those uh, things, especially if there's an expectation uh, that you be there. But I would, if you have not gotten a divine office, right, a breviary, uh, so-called, they have a, a breviary just for the season of Advent. Mm -hmm. And all the antiphons are picked out so beautifully. And the, you know, the, the Psalms, of course, are, the Psalter is uh, pretty regular, but all of the readings are, you know, for the Office of Readings are Advent readings, and, you know, it's, it's very beautiful, and uh, so that's an easy way to kind of uh, keep yourself focused on, uh, on Advent. Um, you know, some people bring Advent wreaths over to their houses. You've got to be very careful if you're using real candles because, you know, fires can happen, but by and large, the... Uh, uh, you can celebrate little ways like that or, you know, light the extra candle uh, during your meals or something of that nature or read some of the office of readings from uh, the Advent season, um, things like that. You could definitely keep the Advent spirit alive even though, you know, you're you're going to a Messiah concert or something. And frankly, mm -hmm. I like going to Messiah concerts. Mm -hmm. I'm, I guess I'm a schmaltz guy, but, but I definitely uh, love it. And I, I do feel, a, you know, when I hear those beautiful mm -hmm. pieces, you know, that go through all the Isaiah prophecies and the Zephaniah prophecies and, you know, and then, of course, the, the uh, antecedent, I mean, the, the consequence, you know, the everything after the, the mm. great event. I, I just love it all, and it reminds me of the Lord, and it's very much a, a, a loving thing, and people have practiced so long, and there's a real spirit in the place where everybody's really happy going into that concert hall, mm. and it's not the usual, you know, uh, get out of my way, I don't like you. <laughs> you know, it's, uh, there's a real Christmas I gotta get to the bathroom there. quickly here, uh, you know, get yeah. back to my seat. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> Getting elbowed out of your way, right? Yeah, right. Yeah, exactly. Okay, yeah. here's another question. Dear Father Spitzer, every year we hear the arguments against religious Christmas displays on public property. Some towns get around this by including secular symbols or even pagan displays. Why is the fight always against Christianity in the name of inclusivity? One never hears of the need for inclusivity when discussing Ramadan or Hanukkah or even secular holidays like the 4th of July. And this is Julie. Well, Julie, I think is just really um, Christianity is such a predominant religion in, in the United States. Uh, when you combine both Catholic and Protestant, it's, it's just a huge percentage of the population. 
And even though that may be weakening as we uh, enter into a more secularizing culture uh, right now, I, I would still say that people are always scared of being somewhat dominated by that if they're not, if they don't belong to the dominant religion there. Mm -hmm. And and so uh, I do think that the solution, though, is if you want to allow other religions to put their menorah out, you know, mm -hmm. on their um, and the Jewish holidays or whatever mm -hmm. the symbol may be uh, on their holidays, please, you know, do it. But the idea is trying to, you know, of going to the lowest common denominator is so disturbing that you, you can't celebrate anything publicly right. uh, because, uh, um, you know, people are afraid of it. So, you know, uh, if right. somebody's not any religion, okay, well, you know, do a... Uh, you know your your own no right. no religion d day well, or something right. you know but but yeah well but, reminds but me, my thought is right. don't go. prevent people from celebrating their right. uh, celebration absolutely just to go to the lowest common denominator well it reminds me the old joke used to be about a Puritan was somebody who thought you know was upset because somewhere somebody was having a good time you know that was kind of the Puritan idea of what makes a Puritan, <laughs> yeah. right, that, that old joke. Now it's yeah, kind of yeah. like we, we live in the world of wokeism where, you know, the upsetment might be that somebody yeah. somewhere might get upset. Yeah, yeah. You know? And so, of course, uh, uh, instead of just playing that card of being victimized, why don't we just charitably say, hey, everybody, uh, you know, exercise your freedom too uh, to your religious belief. That's part of our... Uh, constitution here and uh, in the country and go ahead and display your menorah or your right. uh, Star of David or your um, right. you know your uh, five pillars or whatever it may be uh, display them uh, as you wish and uh, we'll uh, do ours right. as well absolutely so we don't have to you know become secularized absolutely dear father Spitzer yeah. friends and I were discussing Christmas one said she never taught her children anything about Santa Claus. She believed it confuses them about the true meaning of Christmas and teaches them to be selfish. My wife and I taught our kids that most importantly, Christmas celebrates the birth of Jesus. However, we see no harm in allowing them to enjoy Santa. Are we wrong? Joe. Joe, you're not wrong. I mean, it's based on the old St. Nicholas legend, you know, and uh, I mean, he was a real person and he, um, but he, you know, the, uh, you know, the, the legend of, you know, bearing gifts, uh, you know, kind of arose out of that and became, of course, Santa Claus and, and uh, the North Pole, et cetera, et cetera. But, uh, you know, I, I certainly loved it uh, when I was a kid. No harm came to me, you know. I, uh, right there, you know, you had the stockings hanging there on the, on the mantle, and there was, you know, the... Uh, uh, you know, our crest set very clearly there. Mm -hmm. There was, you know, the, the midnight mass and the Sunday morning mass. It was all, you know, front and center, mm -hmm. uh, you know, in our uh, household. And so I, I don't think there was really a conflict of mm -hmm. symbols. I, um, you know, you know, my parents did give presents and they, you know, there was, I guess, a degree of materialism there, but the kids were giving presents to each other and back to mom and so there was that kind of uh, festive thing and at the end of the day the reason for the feast was Jesus and you can keep that emphasis in your household uh, as you put it said you already did so I mean I think it's it's very uh, clear that this is a, a good thing 
and um, you know, and you know, maybe some kids get disappointed when they find out that Santa Claus isn't real. But I sure didn't transpose it to my religion or anything like that. I just, uh, my brother once said, you know, hey Bob, you know, I, I got a secret for you. I think I was in the third grade. And mm -hmm. I said, well, what? You know, there is no Santa Claus. Oh, okay. So, you know, it was a big disappointment. I, I so, verified it with my dad. So, you know. all concerns about <laughs> Father Spitz's position on the existence of Santa Claus should be sent directly to the Magis Center, uh, just to yeah. make people aware of that. <laughs> yeah, so. that's right. <laughs> well, see, I, I figure in Miracle oh. on 34th Street, they said the post office said he was, Edmund Gwynn was Santa yeah. Claus, so that's good enough for me. That's so. right. That's right. I remember that. <laughs> and I saw that great story uh, in the New York Times. The guy wrote the letter in, you know, mm. <laughs> uh, protesting uh, somebody who uh, was disputing the existence of Santa Claus. Right. Absolutely. So. <laughs> Another question as yeah. we come up uh, about four or five minutes from our break, uh, dear Father Spitzer, how can I best share the good news of the gospel this time of year with those who no longer associate Christmas? with Christ. This is Steve. Well, Steve, that's a, a tough one. Um, you know, there are some great Christmas movies, you know, that don't put in the, the Christ part of it, but have it sort of indirectly present, like It's a Wonderful Life. Mm -hmm. I mean, the Christmas theme is all around it. You've got these angels that, you know, who are kind of helping out and so forth and, mm -hmm. you know, so on. But you, you can sort of see that Christmas is all around there uh, without it kind of being uh, pushed on you. And um, there are other kinds of films, uh, you know, during the Christmas season. I think um, Charles Dickens' Christmas Carol mm -hmm. um, is another way you can sort of soft uh, approach, you know, the uh, the Christmas themes because, you know, Dickens is very crafty about how mm -hmm. he puts in, you know, that Scrooge, first thing he does after he does the turkey and mm -hmm. gives to charity is he goes to church and right. sings real loud, right? He's, you know, the, the idea of him, uh, you know, taking the religious part of the ceremony uh, very seriously, mm -hmm. but of course, if you look at things, it's, he, you know, Dickens has done it, you know, very craftily. But oh no, Christ is uh, still right. in there, uh, very much uh, part of it, and associated with charity and associated, um, you know, with welfare for people, especially mm -hmm. who are uh, poor. So there's ways you can do a soft uh, approach. Um, you know, and I, I sure love George C. Scott's. I was going to ask you which uh, you is know, your favorite Scrooge, version. Scrooge, A Christmas Carol. Right, right. Yeah, that, I, I loved his um, his version. Yeah, well, eighty three, yeah. I think, it was made. So, eighty three, eighty four. Yeah, that. that's right. Yeah. yeah. Bef oh, so many that, powerful scenes. I think the one that was yeah. before that was that was really was Alistair Sims one that he did in the fifties. Oh yeah, good. yeah. That was pretty yeah, good. Absolutely. Go ahead. You're going to say something good. more there. I cut you off. Sorry. No, no, no. I was just going to say, you know, these are uh, powerful testimonies to the effects of, of grace and so forth. But as I said, Dickens is right. very oblique. He's kind of, uh, you know, he doesn't he doesn't do a direct punch. But there's lots of Christmas movies that right. do such a fantastic job as well. Right. So I mean, I, I would, you know, if you're in a religious context, do the religious movies. Right. Uh, if you're not, I'd probably do the. Uh, 
uh, you know, the ones that are soft sells. But it's Wonderful Life's a good soft sell. That's good. Yeah. Uh, Christmas Carol's a good soft sell. Yeah. The Bishop's Wife is, uh, yeah. uh, you know, is a really good movie. Yeah. Uh, uh, Come to and, the uh, Stable. And the two, Brent, uh, Bing Crosby. Yeah. yeah the, right. And also uh, St. Mary's, uh, uh, Bells of St. Mary. Bells of St. Mary's so going my so way. On. But, yeah, right. Uh, yeah, yeah, I think those are good ones to pull out, but of course those are more explicitly religion, right. religious, um, you know, and might be uh, a little bit uh, pushy, but but uh, I would just try and find right. some other ones that, uh, that um, you know, are not completely secular, but, but really do have, uh, you know, a, a religious theme. Right, now uh, I would, know, I would uh, highly uh, endorse them. Mr. Mr. Magoo's Christmas Carol, which was one of my all-time favorites. Uh, if you, you and your kids haven't seen that, <laughs> classic, first yeah. cartoon ever made, uh, 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 holiday cartoon ever made, specifically for television in 1962. So you can thank that show no for why you kidding. got Charlie Brown, So because it was a, one that was successful. Oh, wow. So anyway. Oh, great. And yeah. we, we've got another oh. question here right before we go uh, to sure. the break. Dear Father Spitzer, the Gospels give only a brief description of the birth of Christ. Several mystics claim to have had visions of Jesus' birth providing much more detail. This is private and not public revelation, but it is permissible to read through these descriptions, right? They help me form a clearer picture of the difficult condition the Holy Family must have faced compared to the sanitized version that we see on Christmas cards. This is Joan. Yeah, Joan, I think, uh, um, you know, so long as they're not saying something right. uh, heretical, you're, <laughs> you've obviously got a, a, a pretty good judgment there on, on what's Orthodox Christianity. And, and so um, if you uh, uh, don't see any objectionable content, you know, suggesting something that's not, you know, part of the... Uh, um, you know the the virgin birth and the uh, um, the Holy Spirit. Uh, you know, uh, uh, you know, being the partner through which the incarnation takes place, mm -hmm. and um, you know Joseph being the foster father, et cetera, et cetera. If, you, if there's nothing ob objectionable, I, I uh, the mystical mm -hmm. path is okay by me. Uh, so, you know, it, a lot of them, of course, are not going to have an imprimatur because they're private revelation, as you already pointed out. Mm -hmm. So. Um, you know, you just have to sort of make a judgment, but if they help you, why not go ahead and utilize that, especially if the mystic in question has been declared a saint or something uh, by the church. I think Absolutely. there's uh, also some very good, um, uh, you know, early kinds of uh, what I would call Jesus books, where, you know, there are authors, um, you know, who kind of extend out the... Uh, the um, the biblical narrative uh, a little bit, you know, and uh, uh, Fulton J. Sheen uh, has uh, one of those uh, little, uh, you know, sort right. of reflections, and I think there are other kinds of uh, ones. I think Archbishop Goudier uh, also has, uh, you know, a little, ex you know, uh, extended meditation on the infancy narratives. So there's uh, right. there's some good things out there um, as well as the mystics. Right, so, absolutely. Uh, I would say go ahead and enhance it. Why not? Right. Okay. Before we extend our stay too long, we've got to take a break. Much more ahead with Father Spencer <laughs> as we talk about Christmas. Stay with us.
do appreciate you in this holiday season of Advent as we roll into <laughs> Christmas, staying with us as we talk with Father Spitzer, answering your questions about Christmas and some of his own reflections as we talked earlier in the program and experiences. And Father's all choked up there as we get to our next question for him uh, <laughs> because Christmas is important to him. So let's have uh, another question if you're ready, Father. Uh, dear Father Spitzer. <coughs> I heard the traditional nativity scene everywhere is quite familiar with having Jesus in a manger and surrounded by farm animals, that that was created by, you know, St. Francis of Assisi. It's modeled after what a 13th century barn would have looked like. Any thoughts as to what the actual birth of our Lord would have looked like? Charles. Well, Charles, <clears throat> there's a discussion between whether it was really a cave mm -hmm. uh, sort of an atmosphere or whether it was truly uh, some kind of a barn or something, uh, you know, uh, akin to it. it would be an outside stable uh, where the cows or, or uh, you know, places could, uh, you know, other beasts could come in there and, and, mm -hmm. and eat. Uh, the domesticated animals could eat. Uh, so it could be um, some kind of a, a shelter, you know, uh, like a cave or like a, you know, um, a sort of an mm -hmm. open barn kind of a place. Uh, that uh, would be very typical of, of Israel, um, but um, nobody's quite uh, sure uh, what it was. The, the two most important things is that, number one, it was very poor. I mean, mm. it was impoverished. It was a place uh, for uh, feeding and, and uh, uh, sheltering animals. Mm. And uh, so Jesus was not just with the poorest of the poor, uh, he was with the beasts of the field. Right. And so um, he uh, definitely... Uh, uh, definitely uh, was in a very poor environment, but that's where he wanted to be. Right. He w didn't want to be coming down exalted with power and, you know, in uh, uh, Madison Avenue. You know, mm -hmm. he wanted to be uh, uh, right there with the uh, the people he came to serve and save. So. Um, what was anyway, uh, um, I think. Uh, well, yeah. were you ever confused as a Go kid? Ahead. I was confused. You're a more educated man than me, so. You know, I used to think the manger was the stable. I didn't realize that the manger was actually the quote-unquote feed box that, that, that our yep, Lord actually was, was yeah. in, right? And if you yeah. think about it now and the idea right. of him feeding us and him being, you know, our food effectively. Oh, I never even thought about it. You know but that's I mean? a, Yeah, you know what I mean? a great symbol. You know? Absolutely, absolutely. Right, yeah, so. never thought of it, but uh, right on. But you're right, a manger is uh, definitely the feed box. Right, right. <laughs> now you know why they don't translate it that way. Uh, it wouldn't quite have the same effect. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Away in a feed box. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it doesn't rhyme as well. Okay, so we've got yeah. uh, another question. Dear Father Spitzer, Matthew 123 states, Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and his name shall be called Emmanuel. Immediately after, verses 24 to 25 say, Joseph took Mary as his wife, she bore a son, and they called his name Jesus. Why did they not name the child Jesus Emmanuel? This is from Eddie. Um, because, of course, Jesus means Savior, and uh, that was uh, according to, uh, um, um, in the Lucan narrative, uh, you know, uh, it's an instruction, um, you know, and I think uh, Savior is the key term. I mean, God with us tells you his nature, mm -hmm. but Savior tells you the economy of salvation. Why did he come? 
to save us. Mm -hmm. I mean, uh, the, the nature is, yes, he is God with us, mm -hmm. but why is he God with us? To save us. And so mm -hmm. that name, of course, uh, you know, Savior, or he who saves his people, or uh, however we want to translate that Hebrew, um, definitely is the key uh, from the Lucan narrative. And, uh, and so Matthew collapses mm -hmm. it, of course, uh, um, uh, into a, a single stroke of the pen, as mm -hmm. it were. So, um, but uh, yeah, you, everything is there. Uh, the virgin conceives, bear a child. That's the Isaiah prophecy. And uh, Matthew's saying the Isaiah prophecy is being fulfilled. The Emmanuel is here. The God with us is here. And of course, uh, um, Joseph takes Mary into his home, but he's not the real mm -hmm. father uh, of Jesus. Uh, God is the real father of Jesus. And they do name the child born of Mary Jesus. Okay. Uh, he who saves his people. Yeah, you have to follow those instructions. I think John the Baptist, his father, found out that, yeah. the, that not following the instructions was not a good idea. Uh, <laughs> right? <laughs> Precisely. <laughs> Not if you want to be talking. Uh, let's see. Uh, here's another question. It's something that comes up. Uh, Dear Father Spitzer, a lot of Bible scholars today translate Isaiah 7:14 as a young woman instead of, quote, unquote, a virgin. Why this shift away from Mary being a virgin? Is it important to the whole plan of salvation that Mary be a virgin? This is from Ryan. Well, uh, there's two uh, questions going on there, Ryan. The first one is the shift away from. Uh, what's interesting, though, is um, is the Septuagint translation, which is the Greek translation of the original uh, Hebrew from the Isaiah prophecy, uh, does translate that term virgin. Mm. And that is really uh, interesting. Um, so, you know, the, the preference for the Hebrew there, uh, young woman uh, could be correct, but it could also uh, uh, be virgin. And um, so uh, uh, it's, this goes all the way back, uh, you know, the Septuagint translation is pre-Christian. Mm -hmm. uh, by the way, I forgot to mention that. That's very important. And so it's not a Christian apologist who is translating um, the, uh, the Hebrew term uh, into Greek as virgin. It's a Jewish person who is translating that Hebrew term uh, into the Greek mm -hmm. uh, word for virgin. So that's, uh, and it's pre-Christian, so it's not a Christian no. apologist. And now let's get to your second question, mm -hmm. you know, well, why? Uh, you know, is virginity so important? Well, the first thing is uh, for, um, uh, you know, God, uh, whose plan it is, right, is to be the father of Jesus. And that means, of course, if Joseph has not had relations with Mary, then God, uh, you know, as it were, has to be the father of Jesus, not Joseph, the human uh, quote-unquote potential father. Mm -hmm. He's the foster father, and that's very clear um, from Mary's um, uh, virginity. Mm -hmm. And the, the second thing, of course, is, you know, um, does she have to be a virgin? Um, uh, I, I'm not sure whether she has to be or not. The fact was that's what God willed her to be, and God willed her to be uh, um, the virgin so that there was uh, would be no... Um, 
sense of, mm-hmm. of, of, the, of Emmanuel being born uh, out of, uh, you know, carnal desire or something of that nature, that this child was a child which is the gift of God himself. And, the, uh, and Mary is, mm-hmm. of course, the one who receives uh, that child into her womb. And so uh, I think it's, uh, it's a very appropriate symbol. It's not something that's anti-sex. Right. It just is uh, saying that the Savior of the world was not uh, born out of carnal desire, no. and he was not born of a man, uh, 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 but rather God mm-hmm. was the Father, the true Father uh, of, of, uh, of um, Jesus. And so right. I think those two things are set into motion and that's the real uh, Christological part of uh, her virgin, um, of of the virgin birth. But uh, I mean there are other things where of course virginity was prized Mm -hmm. by the Christian community right from the outset um, and that was because Jesus actually uh, praised mm-hmm. um, you know virginity and chastity and celibacy right he mm-hmm. he said you know you're blessed if you can do it and uh, and uh, Paul also praises it and so it's part of our tradition um, that uh, you know refraining um, you know from uh, uh, you know sexuality or sexual expression mm-hmm. uh, can be a very direct way of being in uh, contact with God and that's been uh, right uh, when you when you have uh, when you're in sexual relationship with somebody uh, as a Catholic right we assume that that's going to be in a family and when you have a family you have a wife and you have kids and they're your first uh, priority in the human sense whereas I think a celibate has the advantage of you know, really, you know, you, you are responsible for all the people in your parish or right. you're responsible for all uh, the people that you're trying to help in your religious ministry. But in point of fact, mm-hmm. your real beloved is God. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, from Saint, you could just see this coming out in St. Teresa of Avila, where when she writes in her autobiography, every two words is beloved, mm-hmm. you know, my right. beloved or my king or my majesty, or well, you can see how close the relationship is uh, between them. And, and part of that is, mm-hmm. the, you know, uh, that celibacy, that virginity that she has experienced. So uh, I consider it in my own life, you know, that, that uh, mm-hmm. ability uh, as it were, n- not to um, have another priority, a human priority, uh, next to God. Mm-hmm. Uh, everybody, of course, is my priority who I'm serving, but I don't have one that is a number one priority in the human sense. God's my number one beloved. He's my number one priority. Mm-hmm. He's uh, everything, as it were, t- uh, to me. And so for that reason, it leads to a very intimate relationship with God. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that's why I like to read St. Teresa of Avila uh, mm-hmm. every um, um, every single year. I, I read her autobiography because I like all those beloveds. Mm-hmm. I like all those expressions of, of love that she has there. I, by the way, uh, you know, St. John of the Cross, you know, same thing. You know, he's, you read all those beloveds, you know, uh, you know, I can identify with mm-hmm. what he feels. Uh, you know, when he's, he's talking about that. And of course, beloved is the name that Jesus uses of himself before the Father. He's the ha-agapetas. He is the beloved one.
So I think that's the reason mm -hmm. for the virginity. Um, it's not a, a, a statement against sexuality. How would you have mm -hmm. families right. without sexuality, et cetera? I mean, so, I mean, uh, I don't think the Christian faith has ever been uh, anti-sex. It's just right. uh, uh, there it is as part well, of... You know, I uh, think some post-sexual revolution things. I think there's some, there's a bit of an attack on sometimes on that because of the church's stance and mm -hmm. standing up for these things, and and probably some yeah. mm -hmm. low-end attacks trying to claim ultimately. Well, Jesus was a really good man, but he really wasn't God. You know, so yeah, yeah, yeah right, exactly. Oh yeah. Well, that's yeah, that's the attack on on the real incarnation. Right, yeah, exactly. absolutely. Um, yeah. Next up, dear Father Spitzer, would the birth of the Savior of the whole world or the world be first announced to some poor shepherds? It seems that if this important news was meant to get out, God could have chosen someone more suitable to the task than some uneducated shepherds who may many would have had a hard time believing. Bridget. They were lowest oh, of the low. Here's so, the deal. You know, so. Yeah, that's exactly where God wanted to be. Mm -hmm. He wanted to be with the lowest of the low. He shepherds that was a dirty profession, mm -hmm. and he wanted to be right there in the dirt and the grime, and the um, you know non-education. He wanted to be right there. He wasn't. You know, he chooses some people who have you know good education. I was. Very lucky, a nice Punahou education, and growing up in Honolulu and things like that. And but he doesn't uh, give preference to people like me. Uh, he gives preference all across the board to people who can speak to people all across the board of different kinds. And we need to see that God so cherishes these shepherds. That's what comes quaking off of the Bible text, right? Mm -hmm. Is that God loves these shepherds as like an you know, any of his beloveds, they have no lower status in his eyes. In fact, he gives them the, the first, well, of course, Mary, of course, and Joseph got the first revelation, but, but uh, the shepherds are the second ones in line to get that revelation, and I think it's just wonderful because he is saying, I love them, and they're not going to the back of the line simply because, um, you know, they have a low status. And secondly, God can take care of getting the message out, <laughs> believe me. So uh, he can find a few uh, obloviators like me to, to, to get things going. And, uh, you know, Mother Angelica, you look at her, mm -hmm. you look at her humble beginnings, right? And she is getting the word out par mm -hmm. excellence right, to this very day. And so we see all of these wonderful things that God does. He, he just doesn't choose the rich and the influential and the, uh, you know, the people who have. But he does choose some of them. Right. He certainly does. Uh, when he chose St. Paul, uh, he, you know, he got a number one, you know, <laughs> a preacher and mm -hmm. writer and, and a speech giver. I mean, he uh, got a great one there. And mm -hmm. certainly when he uh, got St. Augustine, oh, my gosh, you know, <laughs> I don't have to say any more. So he chooses... Uh, various people and uh, and uh, you can see that uh, uh, the the lower uh, status doesn't mean a, anything right some of the greatest saints some of the greatest miracle workers had the most lowly of beginnings right. and uh, they were the ones who could right. follow the Lord's will 
uh, more freely than all the rich people in the world. And it also shows that it has to be a work of God because these people don't have the wherewithal yeah. for, the, for this to be successful on their own. So. Oh. Right. Absolutely. You look at the apostles. Let me see now. Do I think those 12 guys could have gotten this whole thing off the ground uh, by just simply going around talking about the resurrection? No, I don't. I think it had to be filled with all kinds of miracles, gifts of the Holy Spirit, all kinds of preaching that they were doing way beyond their capacity. God can take care of it. He gets the message out just fine. Even with very, you know, people with very humble uh, gifts like St. Peter, you know, fisherman right. type, but winds up being exceedingly influential because all the ironies of Christ that the lowly are going to be raised up and that the uh, humbled are going to be uh, uh, brought into mm -hmm. the glory of the revelation of God. It's absolutely wonderful. Okay. Let's get to a couple of more questions here as our time's running out. Sure. Dear Father Spitzer, in reading the account of the wise men visiting Jesus, they first approached Herod asking where they could find the newborn king of the Jews. The Bible says Herod and all of Jerusalem were troubled by this news. I can understand Herod being upset as he would lose his position of power, but why did all of Jerusalem not rejoice in the news of the birth of their long-awaited savior, Tina? Well, Tina, that's an expression, mm -hmm. uh, all of Jerusalem. So, and, and that probably has, you know, kind of the people in the court, mm -hmm. right? The people who have something to lose. And so it's not like the whole city is abuzz and, and right. worried because obviously the word did not get out uh, to the whole city, but it's kind of an expression, the people at court in Jerusalem okay. uh, is really what it's referring to. Yeah. Right. Okay. Very good. Next up, another question related to the Magi. Dear Father Spitzer, when did the Magi visit Jesus? Traditionally, they are shown as appearing at the manger, but Herod had all males two years and younger killed, so apparently Jesus was no longer a newborn. If so, why would the Holy Family have remained in Bethlehem so long instead of returning to Nazareth? This is Sandy. Well, Sandy, I, you know, it's so hard to identify um, when that might have occurred. Mm -hmm. I mean, uh, you know, trying to put these conjectures together uh, from the Scripture. And by the way, that was a very shrewd conjecture. I, I, mm -hmm. I like uh, those uh, thoughts that you say. But to actually try and use those conjectures to put together a time when the Magi arrive, we just simply don't know. Mm -hmm. There are some people who try and identify that from a conjunction of of, uh, you know, um, a fixed star with, uh, uh, you know, um, uh, Jupiter and, and, uh, and um, uh, Venus and so mm -hmm. forth. There's all kinds of other, uh, you know, uh, ways, attempts to, to try and put a date to when the Magi uh, would have come. Obviously, they were astrologers of some sort. They were stargazers of some sort. Mm -hmm. And uh, maybe there, you know, the, this conjunction or some other astronomical event uh, was motivating them. But, uh, you know, nothing's mm -hmm. going to really help us, to be honest with you, uh, to really pinpoint a date. Mm -hmm. And I have heard everything with some very conclusive right. arguments from some very good astronomers mm -hmm. uh, that, you know, right after the birth of Jesus all the way to, you know, three years afterwards. So, I mean, um, it's all... Uh, right. Uh, I think the important really part is up in the air right, for us to know that yeah. uh, they were there 
at some point, and it was indicative yeah. of this yeah. being opened beyond to the Gentiles and beyond the Jewish community, right? Yep. That's precisely it. That's the important thing. The date of it is just simply beyond our ability uh, to ascertain. Right. So it's, it's nice to know there's a lot of hist history around these things that are actually being shown more and more to be true, but we can't get caught up in some of yeah. these things either. Because we know more about right. our Lord than we knew about Julius Caesar in the sense of uh, what was actually said or documented about him. So one last yeah. question. Uh, dear Father Spitzer, the Magi mm -hmm. brought gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. These gifts must have been very valuable. What could have happened to these gifts? I've heard that they could have been used to finance the flight into Egypt and support the family while they lived there. Margaret. Well, Margaret, that's another one of those questions we just can't answer because right. uh, we have no evidence one way or another. Uh, you know, um, uh, you know, uh, the, you know, gifts were given clearly to the child Jesus. The disposition of those gifts is certainly not mentioned in Scripture, and so uh, I hate to say it, but mm -hmm. uh, have to beg off of that question too, uh, just because of lack of evidence, lacks uh, of any kind of textual and as uh, evidence. And has been pointed out before, and even in Raymond Arroyo's recent book about the three wise men, it, it doesn't say three. There's there, you know, that's. Uh, you know, yeah. it doesn't, you know, there's lots of yeah. things we kind of read into and say, but if you actually look at the text, sure. it's not as specific about some of these things as, as we kind of mm -hmm. have grown up believing, right? Right, exactly. And so, I mean, there's a, a lot to the, uh, the exegesis of those texts, and, uh, um, you know, you, you just have to uh, accept what you cannot know, mm -hmm. and you're not going to be able to ascertain. But as I always say, when I get to heaven, boy, do I have a list of questions. I'm really going to bother the Lord. I'm just going to say, Lord, I got these 200 questions. Just get these, and he'll instantaneously answer them, and then I'll be happy. Just kidding. <laughs> so we've got, we've got two minutes to go. Let me ask you two quick questions. What was, okay. the, what was the best Christmas gift you ever got? Oh, the best Christmas gift. Well... Uh, from a secular point of view, uh, it was my bicycle. Mm -hmm. uh, I, you know, I, I wanted a bike because it meant autonomy and freedom. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, I got a flexi racer, which I also liked, and I got a skateboard, which I also liked. Uh, so those were the secular mm -hmm. gifts uh, I liked. And then finally, when I was old enough and I got a 22, I was very happy with that. So uh, those were uh, okay. uh, some kind of good secular gifts. You were kind of like but, a uh, Christmas story uh, there. You, you know, did, was your mother worried about you shooting yeah. your eye out or anything like that or a problem uh, like that? No, actually my dad yeah. was pretty good on gun yeah. safety and so forth. And he took us to the rifle range and he made very sure, you know, as he always mm. put it, never point a gun at anybody whether you think it's loaded or unloaded. Right. The only time you ever point a gun at somebody is if you intend Have to, to kill them. Right. And I hope you're not intending to kill anybody. So and don't we'll, point a gun at and, anybody. And we've got 50 <laughs> seconds. So what is the one gift you always wanted that you didn't get? Oh, well, you know, um, I, I did want a very, very quick uh, go-kart, is what they were called at the <laughs> time. And... Uh, uh, that was not going to be given to me. I think they thought I would uh, definitely, uh, 
kill myself in it, so <laughs> I did not get the go-kart. Okay. So, uh, but that was one thing, and uh, and uh, there were a few other things that I didn't get. Uh, you know, I, I wanted some uh, uh, hunting knives and things of that nature, which uh, were not forthcoming mm -hmm. uh, as expected. But I got a very fine Swiss Army knife, which I, I always uh, uh, liked, and I got a lot of books, which I also liked, too. I was a, a reader type, I know, right. believe it or not. I. I wanted some books for Christmas. <laughs> my, uh, my siblings thought, oh boy, the, the poor fellow is touched. And, uh, but I got my little... Uh, Right. Well, uh, unfortunately, I got my little mystical uh, things there too. There you go. So, uh, unfortunately, uh, like wrapping paper, we need good. to wrap wrap up the show here. And so, if you'll give uh, us your blessing as we kind of end our last show for the year. Very good. Bow your heads and pray for God's blessing. And may Emmanuel, the incarnate Lord, the divine Lord who came to us as a little baby in abject humility and gentleness and love, bless your life and fill you with the joy and the peace, the confidence, the security of this season and make it usher in a whole new way for you to obtain the kingdom of heaven and lead others to it in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much, Father Spitzer. Have a blessed Advent and a blessed Christmas <clears throat> and we shall see you again in the new year. Don't forget, of course, Father Spitzer's books and videos are all available through our EWTN Religious Catalog. Next week, we re will return to Father's book and we'll be talking more about all of those topics. And don't forget to join me this week for EWTN's bookmark on Sunday at 10 a.m. Eastern Time. Always something interesting. I think we'll have Raymond's book coming up as well again over Christmas. And also check out the EWTN website for all of our special programming for Christmas featuring masses, concerts, and wonderful children's programming. Just go to EW10.com and click on TV for shows and times in your area. Don't forget, check out On Demand if you miss it while it's airing live on the network. This is EWTN's Father Spitzer's Universe. I'm Doug Keck. Have a blessed Advent and a wonderful Christmas. Thank you.